0: Church, we are here to praise the Lord Almighty, to worship Him, and we continue to do so as we hear from Him through His Word. So let me invite you to open the Scriptures uh, with me this morning to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 17, as we continue our message series titled He Is Knowing God by Name. I don't know what what baggage you bring with you to church today, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because we need each other, and we can lean on each other and encourage one another in the midst of the highs and the lows of this life. You see, we were made for community, and church is community. When you're not here, we miss you. But even more than we need each other, we need God. Friends, God made us to know Him, and we were made for Him. Through the Bible, God tells us who He is. And one of the ways that He tells us who He is is through various names or or titles that He uses for Himself to reveal His character to us. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that He is Yahweh, or the God who just is. He always is. We've seen that He is the Lord who provides. And today we see that He is God Almighty. He is the sovereign one and the miracle worker. He is strong and powerful. He is king. So whatever you face today, whatever hardships, whatever struggles, whatever challenges you may may be dealing with, whether relationally, economically, educationally, emotionally, I'm glad you are here to hear that this Almighty God is a good God, so you can trust Him. The Almighty God is a good God, so we can trust Him. And perhaps you're struggling to trust Him today. Maybe you're struggling to trust that God's plans for your future are best. Maybe you're struggling to trust that He will ensure your daily needs are met. Maybe you're struggling to trust that His thoughts toward you are good Struggling to trust that His timing is perfect. Struggling to trust that you are loved by Him. Struggling to just take Him at His word. Well, friends, let's bring our struggles, let's bring our troubles to this God as we turn to the life of Abraham, as we hear from the Lord. As we hear the Lord remind us that He is a good God who is worthy of our trust in all things. As you find your place in Genesis chapter 17, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 17, beginning in verse 1, the Scriptures read this way. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for being a God who has spoken and a God who still speaks. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you are good and that you are faithful. Father, we thank you for the presence and the guidance and the power of your spirit residing in us and among us now. Guide us through your word that we might rightly understand who you are and how we can walk with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, the truth is we don't know how often God appeared to Abraham and spoke to him, but we do know that prior to this chapter in his word, there were 13 years of silence in the biblical record. fact, like the very end of chapter 16 uh, reminds us that uh, Ishmael was born. Ishmael was born through uh, Sarah's uh, servant, Hagar, really as an attempt to circumvent God's plans for a son through Abraham and Sarah In other words, here's what happened. At ages 86 and 76, this ancient couple said, we've waited long enough for God to provide. We've been together quite some time, and this is just not happening. We've seen every infertility dock this side of the now river. Maybe God is waiting on us to take things in our own hands. Maybe He's waiting on us to help Him. And 13 years later, God speaks. Can you imagine God Saying to you, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Yes, Lord. God Almighty commands His people to be faithful. He commands His people to be faithful. And to walk before God is to live openly before Him. It's to acknowledge that your life is an open book before Him, to be honest with Him, to live under His guidance and His protection and His supervision. It is to live for Him. Friend, are you living for Him? Why would you live for Him? Why would Abraham live for Him? It's because of who He is He is God Almighty. And to say that He is God Almighty is to say that He is strong. It's to say that He is supreme, that He is high, that He is lofty, that He is majestic, that He is far above us as the one who is behind all things and the one who rules over all things. He is God Almighty. A title that appears 48 times in the Old Testament for God. Most often in the book of Job and Many times in the book of Genesis, closely connected with this name for God is his ability to do the impossible. To do exactly what he says he will do. You know, reading between the lines in this story a bit, I think it's as if God speaks up to Abraham and says, No, Abraham, I don't need your help. Thanks for the offer. I, I don't need you to figure this one out for me. I'm going to do what I've said I would do all along. Trust me in this. And notice all the first-person pronouns in this text, highlighting the central position and role that God assumes in all of this. In verse 1, he says, I am God Almighty. Verse 2, I will make my covenant. Verse 4, as for me, this is my covenant. Verse 5, I have made you a father of many nations. Verse 6, I will make you fruitful I will make nations of you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant. I will give, verse 8, and I will be their God. When the Almighty God says that He is going to do something, friends, He will do it. There is no stopping Him. You better get on board and get with His program. When He calls you, the only reasonable response is to do what Abraham did here and bow before Him alone. Bow before God Almighty alone, for if He is who He says He is, if he is indeed God Almighty, then we dare not put anyone or anything where he alone belongs. God begins the Ten Commandments this way. He says, I am the Lord your God. I, I am Yahweh. We said before, when you see Lord in your scriptures in all caps, it's a reference to the divine name, name Yahweh. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And unlike the ancient Hebrews, the Israelites, we're not surrounded by people who overtly worship other gods. We're we're not surrounded by pagan peoples with little statues and carved images that are being worshipped. You know, if we lived in India or Thailand or China, then we would look at this a little bit differently. We naturally read this text a bit differently. In fact, I remember a number of years ago being overseas and having the opportunity to go into a Hindu temple... And being absolutely overwhelmed by the number of little idols, statues and things. Dozens of them lining the walls that people were coming into and bowing down before and praying to and giving their money to as if these images represented true gods. Friends, the idolatry that we face here is significantly more subtle. Yet just as dangerous. But when we love career success more than we love God, we're practicing idolatry. When we love winning championships more than we love God, we're practicing idolatry. When we invest more into our kids' academic success than their spiritual growth, then we're practicing idolatry. Of course, successful careers and sports championships and academic achievements can all be good things, but they are not the best things. They must never be what defines us, nor what we cannot live without. Friends, no, God alone holds that position. Only His voice should cause us to stop and listen and drop everything else for the sake of obedience to Him. Let's be people who bow before Him alone and who live for Him. Let's live for Him. What are you living for? Who are what defines what you do today? What you do tomorrow? You see, the call to walk before God faithfully and to be blameless is not a call reserved for Abraham alone. It's a call for you and for me. And Paul, the apostle, penned his perspective of what it meant to live for the Lord in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, saying, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus My Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. It says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In other words, Paul says, I'd rather have the joy of knowing Jesus than the recognition of men. I'd rather know I'm living for Jesus in the marketplace than have the most prestigious position in the synagogue apart from him. I'd rather experience his forgiveness and his love than be loved by the company's CEO. I'd rather commune with Him through prayer and His Word than spend all my expendable time in the office, in the bed, or on the beach, or at the lake. No, the point is that He is better. That having life in Christ is better than any worldly success or riches or fame or accolades devoid of knowing Him. See, we're called to live for Him, and living for Him is better. Why? Because God Almighty guarantees His people a good future. God Almighty guarantees His people a good future. Friends, we obey Him because He is Almighty. But we trust Him because He is good. May we never cease to be amazed that this one who holds all things in his hands desires to have us as the recipients of his love forever and ever and ever. He guarantees his people a good future, a future that depends upon participation in a relationship with him. God initiates a covenant relationship. He initiates a covenant relationship. Remember the story, the story of Abraham. So here God calls Abraham to set out. Genesis chapter 12. He calls him to set out with his family from Haran in ancient Mesopotamia and travel to the land that God would show him. And he sets out. Abraham sets out in obedience. He sets out and traveling southwest, not the airlines, but the direction for several hundred miles to the land of Canaan. And he arrives there. He arrives and God promises that the land would become home to his descendants. Genesis chapter 15. And then in chapter 17, our text for this morning, this covenant language becomes especially prominent. For God says, verse 2, I will make my covenant between you and me. Verse 4, as for me, this is my covenant with you. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So what's a covenant? It's a promise between two or more parties. If you're married or have ever been married, then you know what this is because you stood before an officiant. You stood before witnesses. You stood before God and you entered into a covenant relationship with your spouse. You promised to be faithful to him or to love her until death did you part, right? Likewise, friends, God Almighty enters into a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, a promise to be their God and to claim them as his own. And the good news is that unlike so many husbands and wives today, the Almighty God never breaks his covenant. Friends, he is always faithful. And unlike the marriage covenant that spans the earthly life of a husband and wife, God's covenant with His people is an everlasting covenant, verse 7, meaning the good future that God guarantees His people will go on forever and ever. It will extend beyond physical death into an eternal future of life in relationship with Him. A life that involves a new status, a new identity that is found in Him. God gives His people a new identity gives us a new identity. Verse 5, God says to Abram, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. The name Abraham means father of a multitude you see the irony in this? Don't miss the irony in this. After years and years without conceiving, Abraham finally has a son at age 86 through a servant. And now some 13 years later, at age 99, he's past the age of producing children and he gets to turn and tell his wife and his servants and his son and his neighbors, hey guys, my new name is father of a multitude. That's what you're to call me. The late Presbyterian pastor, Donald Barnhouse invites us to consider the comedy of this ancient name change. He writes, We can almost hear the silence of the stunned moment as the truth breaks upon them. Father of a multitude? And then the laughter broke forth behind the scenes. The old man has gone crazy. He had one child when he was 86, and now at 99, he is beginning to get ideas father of a multitude. Was there ever anything more ridiculous for a man of his age? Barnhouse continues. He goes on. He says, from a human point of view, it may have been ridiculous for a man of 99 to think like this, but it was not ridiculous from God's point of view. And Abraham saw things from the viewpoint of God who promised them. This was a promise from God and nothing is foolish when it comes from him. Church, might I suggest to you that the very same God who gave Abram a new name, a new status, has continued to give men and women of faith a new status, a new identity, a new name, through the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. A change of identity that is no less stunning than this one was some 4,000 years ago in the land of Canaan. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. He says, It's by grace that you have been saved. He goes on, verse 19, to say, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, old identity, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Friend, have you gone from dead in sin to alive in Jesus Christ? From a foreigner, a stranger, an outsider who knew nothing of these promises of God to an insider, to a member of God's household. but Through Jesus, God guarantees His people a good future. A forever covenant relationship with Him. A startling new identity and a growing family comprised of people from all over the world. He multiplies the covenant community. God multiplies the covenant community. God says to Abram, verse 4, you will be the father of many nations. He drives this point home again in verse 5. He says, for I've made you a father of many nations. Verse 6, I will make you very fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. So here we have an early biblical hint of God's heart for the nations of his desire for people from every nation, tribe, people, and language to be the recipients of his incredible blessing. And fast forward, some fifteen hundred years later, God continues beating this drum through his prophet Malachi. He says, Malachi chapter one, verse eleven, God says, My name will be great. Where? Among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And then again, fast forward another 500 years or so to Jerusalem where our Lord tells His disciples, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And now my fellow Americans... Dwelling in Alabama in the year 2018, we've been invited in. We've been invited to be a part of this covenant community. Through faith in a crucified Savior and a risen Lord, we are welcomed into the community of God's people, called to trust the Almighty God who has good plans for us. Almighty God is a good God, so we can trust Him. How is He Almighty and good, you might ask. You see, in His goodness, He thought of you. Thought of you, Bill. Thought of you, Shad. You, Melissa. Thought of you, Teresa. Thought of you, Courtney. Thought of you, He Thought of you. He thought of me before the foundation of the world for His Son. He planned. He planned before the foundation of the world for His Son to go to the cross for you and for me. Peter spoke about this Jesus, the greatest king to ever come from the lineage of Abraham. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, he says, he stands before the crowd and he preaches to the Jews. He says, this man, this Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The story doesn't end there it goes on verse 24 but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him you see he is the god of the impossible God Almighty is the god of the impossible it was impossible it was impossible for Abraham and Sarah not to miraculously conceive Isaac because God Almighty had promised it It was impossible for the Virgin Mary not to miraculously conceive of the Son of God incarnate because God had willed it. And it was impossible for death to hold Him down, for He is the author of all life. God Almighty is the God of the impossible. Therefore, believe in the God of the impossible. Friends, believe in the God of the impossible. the words of one pastor, what you truly believe about God is the most important thing in your life. Any thoughts of a God less potent than the God of Abram will shrink your soul and neutralize your faith. Friends, what kind of God do you trust in? What kind of God are you trusting? Don't believe this garbage about a detached God or a weak God or any other man-made conception of who God is, is your faith in the only God who is, the Lord God who provides, and the God who accomplishes the impossible for our good and for His glory. The God of the impossible is the Almighty God, and the Almighty God is a good God, a God that we can trust. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Abraham did. Job did. Moses did. Esther did. Peter did. Leading him to write these words Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in his great mercy he has given us new birth, that new identity, that new position or status into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, believers, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, until the return of Jesus Christ. Friends, the heavenly inheritance that Peter speaks of here that is for all believers. The heavenly inheritance here is the everlasting possession that God promised Abraham's descendants in Genesis chapter 17 verse 8. You see, the promised land where God would dwell among the Hebrews foreshadowed the land of glory. That heavenly dwelling place of divine presence and provision. That place of unending joy and unbroken community. That place where the spiritual descendants of Abraham... You and me and all who call upon the name of King Jesus will receive an incomparable and incorruptible inheritance by the goodness and the grace of the Almighty God. So brother, sister, whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever season of life you're in, trust Jesus and await your eternal inheritance. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus and await His return. Await your your eternal inheritance as a child of the Most High God, as a spiritual descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, for He will return. Christ will return. The Almighty God will return, and He will gather those who are His to enjoy that land, that place, His presence forever and ever. Trust Him today. Turn to Him today and await your inheritance. Father, I pray that we would be people today who trust you. Lord, that we would be people whose confidence is in you. Lord, that we would take you at your word. Lord, that we would believe that you are who you say you are. That we would believe that you are the almighty God, the God who always is, the Lord who provides. And that you are a God who is good, who is gracious, who is patient, who is slow to anger and steadfast in love. Lord, we thank you that you love us despite our sin. Lord, you invite us in. You invite us to be fellow citizens with your people and members of your household. Lord, you invite us into your family. Lord, help us to trust you and live for you. Guide us to respond to the truth of the gospel today in a way that glorifies the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.